chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read from verse 13 all the way to verse 17 today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through verse 17. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That is the word of the Lord. So we continue our discussion on suffering. Um, last week, we opened up the discussion or the topic on suffering for righteousness sake. And um, to put this into context, uh, Peter is, is talking about this after he's already talked about submission and the different uh, life uh, relationships. Uh, he talks about in, in chapter at the end of chapter two, he talks about submission to uh, authority, the governing authorities. Then he talks about uh, submission within uh, the, the slave and master relationship, which equates today to uh, the boss and employee relationship. And then he talks about submission within the husband and wife relationship. And uh, when he's talking about these relationships, he's also talking about suffering uh, within these relationships because of submission. So it's an, easy, it's an easy transition from talking about that to just talking about suffering for righteousness sake altogether. And that's where we're at in the, in the chapter. And I thought, I, th- I think today is very interesting, especially when we uh, look at verse 17 and the whole fact that uh, we must be prepared to suffer for doing what is good. And so I want to start off with the sermon summary and then kind of go from there today. I, I usually save the sermon summary for the very end of the introduction, but today I want to begin with it so that we can start from there and then, and then just gradually uh, get into it because I think verse 17 is very important and it is key uh, to what we're going to learn today. And I also think that it's, it, it brings encouragement to our lives. So the sermon summary for today is that it is better to suffer for pleasing God than it is to suffer because of your sin. I'll repeat that. It is better to suffer for pleasing God than it is to suffer because of your sin. In this world, uh, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. That's what Benjamin Franklin said. Before today, I never knew who said that. I just know it was said, and I've heard it plenty of times, and I'm sure you have too. So those two things are certain in life, uh, according to Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Franklin, that is death and taxes. And again, maybe you've used that before or used that one before, that quote, uh, but I'm sure that all of us have at least heard someone else use it. And the reason why I mention it this morning is because its basic message reflects what we're going to be talking about today. Because at its most fundamental message, its basic message um, 
it's communicating that the only thing certain in life is suffering, right? So now I will say that's a negative outlook, right? And I know for the positive people in here, you're having trouble with that this morning. Uh, because, and I wish I had your positivity because I, I, I struggle with negativity. And, and, and so when I see a quote like that, I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, I can, I can relate to that. But surely for the Christian, we have more promises than just suffering. God has said that he, ha- he will bless our lives, and we must hold on to that. So I will say that, the, that it does seem negative. It's a negative outlook to say that the only thing in life that is certain is suffering, but we do as Christians have to acknowledge that suffering is a part of life. We have to acknowledge that. There's no denying it. In fact, there's a lot of blessings. A lot of our blessings in life come from suffering. If we didn't suffer, we wouldn't learn, right? We wouldn't learn. There would be Lessons that we would not learn. We would not learn how to depend on God. We would not learn that God is the one who's all-powerful, all-knowing. He is the one who's everywhere. We are not. So our suffering causes us to look at our limitations and to acknowledge our limitations and to say, you know what, I can't, but he can. You know, it, it, it makes us to realize that, yeah, I'm, I'm not the answer for everything, but rather I look up to the one who is the answer for everything. So there is blessings in suffering, but we must acknowledge that suffering is a part of life. And especially when you were talking about these Christians here that, that Peter was, was writing to, they were in the midst of some terrible suffering, a terrible persecution. And this was a, a, a letter that was written to them to encourage them to trust and obey. And in fact, if you want to sum up First Peter chapter or the, the whole book of First Peter, it's continual encouragement of trusting the Lord and obeying His word, and you're going to make it through. That's perfect for us today. Trust in the Lord, obey His word, and you're going to make it through because the Lord's going to see you through it. So anyway, that just to. Just for us to focus on the negative part is not appropriate for the Christian, but we must acknowledge that suffering is a part of life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. In other words, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. All right? So this passage, our passage here, uh, warns us of our certain suffering, but also reminds those who are in Christ of the hope that they have that their suffering is temporary and it's light. That's what God's word says. Our suffering is both temporary and it's light compared to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So even though we suffer, God equips us to be able to handle the suffering. What is this suffering? Well, it, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual. And... Suffering comes by different ways. It could be by persecution. It could be due to our sin. It could come in different ways. And, and this is what Peter is getting at today. As we discuss suffering, the verse that really jumps out at me is verse 17. It should jump out at all of us. 
It says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I read that and I was like, man, that's, that's good. And that's where I need to start. And, and usually, you know, where you need to start is at the very beginning. But when you look at verses 13 through 17, verse 17 is the summation, is the summary of Peter's point on suffering for righteousness sake. It implies that Christians will suffer one way or another. Christians will suffer for doing good or for doing bad. But out of the two, it is better for us to suffer for doing good. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means for us to, it is better for us to suffer as we walk according to God's word, as we walk in obedience to him. It is better for, for us to suffer for that than for us to be suffering because of our sin. And here today, what I want to do is I want to use Peter's uh, God-inspired words to learn why it is important or why it is better for us to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. So again, we, we start there with verse 17. Verse 17 is kind of our focal point, but then we're going to back up. Okay, I want to back up to verse 13 because these other verses that come before 17, they explain why it is better for us to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So let's back up to verse 13. Uh, this is the first reason. If you suffer for doing good, you can be confident that the Lord is on your side. All right. Verse 13 says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? As I said before, that our message today is a continuation on the topic of suffering. And suffering is a part of a fallen world, the fallen world that we live in. And the suffering uh, that Peter speaks of here results from the persecution of someone's faith. Someone coming in and saying, your faith is not adequate, your faith is not right, so then therefore, I am going to punish you because you do not have the faith that I have. So someone is infringing on their freedom of religion, their freedom to exercise their faith, and they are being persecuted, so much so that people are being killed because of that. And the interesting thing to note is that Peter never gives the believers here, an excuse to cave in or to quit. He never does that. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago of, of some of the things that, that these Christians endured. The Emperor Nero would, would burn them and use the bodies of believers as candles, as torches for his garden. He would feed them to wild animals. He would punish them in the most horrible, despicable way. And Peter never says in here, hey, everybody, get out, run for your lives, take care of yourself, and, and just forget about this place. He, he never does that. Rather, he implores them to continue in their faith. He tells them to stay steadfast in the Lord. And he tells them that the Lord sees everything because the eyes are, of the Lord are upon them. And he tells them to trust trust and never never give up 
And I, I can't imagine, as Peter's writing down these words, uh, what he felt as, as, as the, the, not only as the apostle, but I'm, talk, I'm, I'm trying to gather what he's feeling and thinking as the, as the shepherd of these people, as the under-shepherd of these people, as their pastor, as he's writing this letter to them, trying to direct them in this time of turmoil. He's trying to tell them that you're going to be okay. I can't imagine how difficult that was. He chose his words carefully. They were inspired by God. And his words pushed the believers to to bunker down, to, to get ready for the attack and to trust God through it all. And verse 13 is extremely encouraging because here, to begin the whole thing, Peter, he reminds believers that God is on your side. I, I, I think that's amazing, and we have to remember that. He reminds the believers that God is on their side. He says, who is there, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? There are other places in scripture that encourage us not to be afraid because God is on our side. If you are, if God is for you, then who is there really to harm you? Joshua 1.9, as he gives Joshua his marching orders, he tells him, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Also, Psalm 56.4 God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? That's exactly what Peter's getting at here. If God is on my side, who should I be afraid of? Is there anyone out there that is greater than God? The answer is no. Is there anything out there that is stronger than God? No. There is no equal. So then, therefore, there is no one whom we should fear. The only one that we should fear is God. Because he is the one who is in charge of all things. He is the one who has, his, who has our lives in his hands. Now, one of the most important verses for us to remember concerning God being for us is found in Romans chapter 8, and I want to read that for you. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. Listen to these words. They are very important as we talk about the fact that God is for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I talked about the fact that Christ is interceding for us uh, before we prayed earlier. And I talked about the importance of that. And as we think about 
whom we should fear, we must understand that Christ lives for us today. He is our advocate before the Father. He is interceding for us. And in fact, he has, he has sent his spirit to reside in us. God has us covered. In every way we, every way we can think of, God has us covered. You know, every day as a parent, I, I, I feel un, uh, uh, just my stomach unsettled uh, almost every morning as I send my kids to school. I send them off in the bus, and before they go, I try to remind them, God is with you. He will protect you. God will guide you. If, if something should happen, the Lord is not absent from you. He is there with you. And as they get on the bus, I, I continue to pray. And then when they leave, I, I, I continue to pray and think about them. Because as a parent, I, I, I like to tell them that I'm there for them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to help them. But you know what? I can't be everywhere. Neither can you. We can't cover our children the way we would like to, but we don't have to because God has it covered. God has it covered. He has our lives covered in every way possible. Christ lives he is living to intercede for us. He is our advocate. He is our representative. We have his spirit. And God has already displayed his unwavering commitment to those who are his and that he provided his son as an atoning sacrifice to cleanse them of their sins. And he not only gives us his son as a perfect sacrifice, but through Christ, he gives us all things. Protects us, he guides us, he provides for us, he does all those things. So then, therefore, if he is doing all those things, let's answer verse 13 Who is there to harm you? Nobody. Nobody can do real harm. The, body talk, the Bible talks about how they can kill the body, but they cannot touch the spirit. When you ask that question, who is there to harm you? I guess it depends on your outlook of harm. If you think about how you don't want to endure any pain, how you don't want to endure any suffering, well, that's not what God is getting at here with this uh, portion of Holy Scripture. He's not getting at that. He's getting at what's important, what cannot be touched, what cannot be harmed because it is protected by him, and that is our spirit. People may be able to harm us physically, but they can never do anything to our spirit. And our spirit is what's important when we're talking about this uh, passage here. We can be sure that God will give us all things because Christ was raised from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. And when we talk about intercession, we must remember that it is the priestly duty of Christ. He is our representative before God and the reason why our prayers are answered. And not only is this true, but we also must remember that the Lord is in the details of our lives. I think that's one of the hardest things to remember day to day. You know, God cares about the details of your life. 
God didn't set you in motion and just kind of pick up, you know, pick up his hands and just let you go and then everything happens to you by chance. That's not the way God governs his creation. That's not the way God's providence works. The Bible talks about how he's imminent and he's transcendent. He is God. That's why he's transcendent. He's above all things, but he is in all things. He's involved in the details of your life. So the deepest, darkest fears that you have, God knows them and he is sanctifying you through that. Everywhere we go, we go with him because he is with us. Just as he told Joshua, do not uh, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. That is true for us as well. So that means he is with us and he is sovereign through every moment of our lives. He has us covered. So I love the way Peter starts off. He says in verse 13, he says, you know why it's better to do uh, to suffer for doing good rather than evil? Because uh, who is there to fear? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Then he continues on, verse 14. This is the second reason. The second reason why uh, we should consider suffering for doing good rather than doing evil. Because if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. It simply says that in verse 14. You will be blessed. Now, I have to admit, suffering doesn't sound like it's something good. And it doesn't sound like it's a blessing. It, it, it really doesn't. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's a blessing. But here, God's word tells us that it is a blessing when we suffer for doing good. And as I told you earlier, um, there are a lot of blessings that come from suffering, even though we don't see them when we are being persecuted, when we are going through turmoil. We see them later. Peter's words here reflect the teaching of Christ when he taught the people on the Sermon of the Mount. And I, I, love, I love this section of scripture in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about those who are blessed, those who are blessed. He said, um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12, listen to these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, uh, against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were me that's extremely encouraging and nowhere in there do you see blessed are those who do not suffer you don't see that in there right 
you don't see in there are blessed are those who never go without. Some in Christianity today make you want to think that, that you are blessed only if good things are happening to you. But if we look at the life of Christ, and we're called Christians, and Christ says that we are to be like him, his life was filled with suffering. We are blessed when we suffer, because through that, God grows us. Because through our suffering, especially when it's caused from the good that we do, the good godly work we do, we learn to trust God. And we, we stop saying, this isn't fair. Because a lot of times in our own heads, when we start to go through something that's difficult, one of the first things that comes up is, why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. And we say that just right away, it's, it's out of anger or frustration or whatever it is, and we say that without, without really thinking about it, because let's really talk about what is fair. The Bible says that we deserve death, we deserve God's wrath, and yet you and I in here, we haven't gotten that. Instead, we have gotten his grace. So no matter what happens to us, we cannot say it isn't fair. We cannot claim that because God has given us his grace, his mercy. He watches over our lives every single day. He's there with us. As I said before, he has us covered. He has never made a promise to us that we will not suffer. But he has said, I will be with you in the, de the deepest and darkest moments of your life. We are blessed. We are blessed and we need to realize that. See, the only real reason why it is a blessing to suffer while doing good is because God sees all and he'll make things right. Yes, we may suffer injustice on this side of heaven. We may suffer sickness on this side of heaven. We may suffer uh, being without on this side of heaven. And we may suffer all that because we are doing God's work. And God is pleased with that. He is pleased with that, and we should be too. We should rest assured that although we suffer on this side of heaven, God has promised us on the other side there will be no more suffering. When we're away from our home, we're going to suffer. When we are home, we will no longer suffer. I don't know I don't know if this is happening because I'm getting older or what, but I, I remember growing up and I used to get so aggravated with my dad because it would seem like my dad really didn't want to leave the house. He's just so comfortable and I'd be like, I'd want to go on vacations, I'd want to do this, I'd want to do that, and dad when he was off he just wanted to do a staycation he wanted to be home I never understood that I'm like why we need to go somewhere as I get older when I'm off I just want to be home and I I'm like I, I get my dad finally you know after all these years I understand why he doesn't want to go anywhere there are benefits to being home there are benefits to being home there is there is no place like home and God is saying this is not 
this is not your, 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 your permanent place of residence. You are an alien here. You are visiting here. Uh, you are wandering in the desert here. And in the desert, there is suffering. But take heart. The promised land, that's home. There's no suffering there. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Praise God. Hallelujah. We need to remember that. We need to remember that if we suffer for righteousness sake, we will be blessed. And you know why we'll be blessed? Because God says we will be blessed. There is no other commitment, there's no other promise that we need. It came from God's word. We just need to trust and obey. And then Peter gives a third reason why it is better for us to suffer for doing good rather than for us to suffer for doing evil. And this is found in verse 15. He says, uh, because if you suffer for doing good, you have an opportunity to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Let's read that. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, see if I can find it. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now listen, he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. See, it's important to recognize that the way in which we have the opportunity to honor Christ the Lord as holy is by always being prepared to make a defense to anyone. Because Peter's talking to these Christians here. These Christians are having accusations, false accusations brought against them. When you have a false accusation brought against you, you have to have a defense to explain what you really believe, what your convictions really are. These Christians are being persecuted. There are times when we are misrepresented. People say, this is what they believe. This is what they think. And many times they come to that conclusion without even talking to you and understanding what you think and understanding what you believe. And Peter is telling the Christians here, hey, be ready. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason uh, for the hope that is in you. In other words, be ready to defend the gospel. Be ready to defend the, the gospel. Be ready to defend the hope that God has placed in your hearts. And, and the way we do this is we become students of the word. We're able to defend the gospel and we're able to defend our convictions by the word of God. Because that is where our instructions come from. That's where our convictions come from. That's where our beliefs come from. It is God's inspired word, and, and this is where it's at. It's our source of all knowledge. It is our source of everything. So when we suffer for doing good, we have an opportunity to honor Christ in that way. 
To defend oneself here means to defend one's commitment to the gospel. And we ourselves need to be ready for that. We must be prepared to do this by becoming students of God's word, understanding important doctrines, having sound theology. These things are necessary in life. But you know what? These are not things that you hear about very often in churches. And, and we need to not be one of those churches that's not promote Bible reading, Bible study, doctrinal knowledge, theology. We need to promote that because that is important to understanding God as he has revealed himself in the Bible. See, one of the major problems in many churches today, or I should say with many Christians today, is that they say they love God. You hear that all the time. I just love the Lord. I love God. But yet they have no knowledge of him or little knowledge of him. They claim to love God, yet their worship of him is inadequate because it's not according to his word. Rather, it's according to what the way they want to worship him. But remember, his word is our source. It is the source in which we, we can know the way God wants to be worshipped. So it's not only our calling to love God, but it's also our calling to know him as he has revealed himself in his word. In other words, we need to become students of the word. Listen, I love, I love when I teach from the Bible one of the main reasons why I like going through a whole letter, it is, it is challenging and rewarding. It's very challenging because it does not give me an excuse just to preach what I want. I have to, if I'm going to go through a whole letter, I have to preach what's there. And some of the passages I'm like, man, I really don't want to preach that right now. I, I really don't. Or, man, I don't know how to really understand that. I have to really, really study harder to be able to communicate it to uh, to the church. So every week I feel like I'm preparing a sermon and yet I, I feel like I'm being preached to through God's word. But on the flip side, the reason why I bring that up on the flip side, I love as as I teach through the Bible and 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 I stay committed to uh, the truth. I love when that truth, it it, it wrecks someone's world. I, I really do. I enjoy seeing that happen. Because I understand, hey, listen, God's word, his truths, they wrecked my world. Because before, before I came to where I'm at today, I thought I knew everything about God. I thought I knew what I could learn. I thought, oh, I've read the Bible several times. It's not that complicated. I, I, I kind of know, I, I kind of know stuff about God. I'm, I'm able to preach about him. But I came with, with these preconceived notions about God and, and, and I had brought in tradition. I brought in what other people said. I brought in a bunch of other things. And, and I brought that in and I looked at scripture and I said, aha, I know about God. Instead, what I should have done was looked at scripture and then looked at the other things that people were telling me and discovered God for who he says he is. That's what I should have been doing. That's what we all should be doing. So I love 
when I teach from the Bible and the truth of God wrecks someone's world, I've seen people react in all kinds of ways. I see people that are confused, especially when uh, God's truth reveals to them something they've never heard before. They've been Christians for 30, 40, 50 years. They hear something, they're like, wait, what a second. Kind of clean out their ears a little bit. I've seen confusion. I've seen disbelief. Like, how dare you? How dare you tell me something I've never heard before? How dare you teach me something new? (laughs) Thought I knew everything already. I see denial. There's no way that's true. There's no way that's true. You know why? Because I've been a Christian for so many years. I've had so I've served under so many pastors and I've never heard this before. Then there is anger. There's all kind of different reactions. And that's not why I love it. I don't love to see confusion, disbelief, denial and anger, especially I don't like to deal with that, especially with with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I can tell you something, it's not an easy thing to go through. It's not easy for someone to go through the fact that someone is mad at you because of what you are teaching them and preaching to them from the Bible. Because one, sometimes one of their first reactions is, that's heretic, you're, you're not teaching the Bible. And as, as, as a preacher and a pastor, that's tough to be able to hear. But you know what? I need to be able to hear that so I can go back and check myself. But you know what I like? I like the fact that when that happens and that person is mature in their faith, their initial reactions may be confusion, disbelief, denial, anger. I let them go through all that. Because I know that the Spirit of the Lord is working on them. I know that God in his own timing will reveal his truth to them, and the best results happen when that person opens their Bible and begins to check for themselves. I love that. I love when people don't believe what I preach, then they go back to their Bibles to prove me wrong. And they come to find out that God's truth is true. I bring that up because we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to explain the hope that we have. Brothers and sisters, you cannot do that. You cannot do that without reading your, the God, God's word, you cannot do that without being a student of his word. You cannot do that without, um, without thinking that you've already know everything. I want to ask you something, because this is what I challenge myself with every single day. Never stop learning. Never stop learning. Always challenge yourself to learn something new. That not only applies in in, in the secular world that you live in, but that especially applies in your spiritual life. Don't come to the conclusion that after 40, 50 years of ministry or of, 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 of 
of being a Christian, I said it right, first time ministry, that you know everything, you've experienced everything. Because I guarantee God will humble you. It will show you that you don't know everything and you haven't experienced everything. And I love the fact that Peter says we must remember to do this with gentleness and respect. So that we can maintain a good conscience before God and so that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. need to come to God's word we need to be prepared because when we are prepared to explain our hope when we're prepared to explain um, the gospel we give Christ glory and honor so here's the conclusion and as I said this usually comes last but we started with it but then we're going to end with it the conclusion is for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. So, really quick, let's take a look at the results of both. The results of suffering for doing good. We talked about those. Number one, it builds your faith and trust in the Lord. That's what verse 14 tells us. It builds your faith and trust in the Lord, knowing that, that He is the source of everything, uh, of everything in your life, and that if He is... Uh, for you who could be against you so it builds your faith and trust in the Lord number two the result of suffering for doing good because you will be blessed why because the eyes of the Lord are upon you he's watching over your life number three the results of suffering for doing good you have an opportunity to honor Christ as holy verse 15 then in verse 16, the results of suffering for doing good, because those who revile you will be put to shame. Yeah, that's, what we're, that's what we're told in this passage. That's what we are promised in this passage here. Uh, those are the results of suffering for doing good. Now, the results of suffering for doing evil. Number one, you quench the spirit and you weaken your faith. Because right, Peter says, hey, we're going to suffer for doing good or for doing evil. It's better for you to suffer for doing good. And the reason why is because when you suffer for doing evil, you quench the spirit and weaken your faith. Also, you are disciplined by the Lord. Why? It works both ways. Because the eyes of the Lord are upon you. As I talked about last week, that could be the most encouraging verse you ever heard or, or the most frightening Either way, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. Number three, the results of suffering for doing evil. Well, if you do evil, instead of honoring Christ as holy, God is mocked. He is mocked instead of honored. And number four, the results of suffering for doing evil. Because you will only give credit to the words of your accuser. Your accusers are saying all things about you, all sorts of bad things about you. They persecute you in different ways. 
And if you are doing evil, all you're doing is giving credit to their works. But if you are doing good, those who revile you will be put to shame because they have nothing to accuse you of. See, now that we know what to do, I want to ask us all in here to depend on the spirit of Christ to help us to suffer for doing good rather than to suffer for doing evil. Because when we suffer for doing good, it is pleasing to God. And it brings him honor and glory. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, Father, and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the, the tremendous power it has in our lives. Father, I pray and I thank you, Father, for the message that you have given me through your spirit. I know that I preach this message and, um, imperfectly. I know that I've made mistakes, and, and, and I pray that you forgive me of those mistakes, Father. I pray that you help me and continue to teach me to preach your word and to have the, the right reverence and respect for it and, and, and also to, uh, to trust you in, in the process, uh, to know that, uh, that your people don't depend on, on, on my my wisdom, my strength, they don't depend on uh, my charm. They don't depend on anything like that, but rather they depend on your spirit who speaks through me. And also, Father, as a preacher of your word, remind me that the fruit that comes from it, it is not mine to claim. Uh, I am only a vessel and help me to remember that, that, um, that the fruit, the, the obedience, the good works that come from uh, from from following what the sermon says, it all comes from you. In fact, without you, it is impossible, it is impossible to walk in the ways you have told us in your holy word. And we pray, Father, that you help us to do that. And even though in life we are told that we will suffer, uh, help us to acknowledge and to seek after suffering for doing good rather than suffering um, for doing evil. For the days that we did evil and, and, and we relished in it, those days are over. You have changed our hearts. You have brought us from darkness to light. Uh, you have given us uh, a new perspective of life. And now we are able to please you and help us to not look back at those days when we, when we lived in wickedness, but rather help us to continue to live in repentance today. That when we fell and we sin, that we repent of our sin and that we uh, continue to walk towards uh, you and, and walk in obedience to your word and to trust you um, in the process. So we thank you, Father, and we just, uh, we just pray that you continue to help us to grow as Christians and help us to depend on you more and more. And also, remind us, Father, remind our spirits, tug at our hearts, tug at us when we want to be lazy, when we uh, want to uh, just really live for ourselves. Remind us that we are part of a spiritual community and also that we have your word there uh, to help us to learn about you. Help us never to be content in our knowledge of you, but to always seek this treasure in your word. And as we seek your word, as we seek your face, uh, let us rejoice when we find you and find out new truths about you. And not only are we doing this for ourselves, but we are also doing it for the sake of sharing the gospel with others. May your gospel have an impact on, on, on many lives. 
May you save them according to your mercy and your grace, just as you have saved us. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.